Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan here with Mark as always, episode 153. Friday, September the 4th, 2020. Mark, are you there? We had a little bit of technical issue, didn't we, just beforehand? So we restarted everything and I hopped back on the bike um, to get our generator going. In fact, we had big storms here in a big storm in Melbourne. Mark, did you did it hit the news up your way? No, you didn't. We, did, <laughs> we did, didn't hear anything about your big it storm. It didn't. We uh, we well, it was quite quite decent storm in eastern Melbourne region. Mark, um, we lost power for s- probably five or six hours, and some houses lost power for five days. Oh my goodness, that would be horrific. Um, so, and it was pretty damn cold as well. So, lots of wind and lots of trees down. That was what happened. So, yeah, we. Um, we were lucky that we only got off with um, a few hours off. The clinic was without power for just on a day, Mark. So we sort how, of how just did, had. How did you cope with that? That's a that would be literally a um, like a nightmare. How did you cope? Well, I did the Zen thing. It was the power went out just when when Belinda was working the other vet and. Uh, just before she finished, and so I knew the power had gone out and it went out at home. Um, actually, no, it didn't go out at home. What am I saying? It didn't go out at home. We had a double whammy, though, and I'll tell you about that in a sec, um, at the same time, which made things a little bit tricky for people. Um, so don't let me forget um, the second part I will, of this I will, story. I will not let you forget your double whammy. <laughs> So that so I headed over to the clinic after it was closed and picked up the vaccines and the bits and pieces from the refrigerator and freezer that needed power and storage and cooling and brought them home. And the next day I put a post on Facebook and the next day we just had a nurse sit in there in the cold. Thank you, Sam. And, um, <laughs> and answering the phone calls um, and... The power came on early to mid-afternoon the next I day. It, I, I um, bet it made exactly that noise. It did. And, uh, and I just did a few consults in the afternoon. So basically the clinic was just phone operating service only. Um, and then it was a bit silly for the next half a day or so with catching up with things. So the double whammy mark was, well, as part of that, big storm that you know nothing about <laughs> up north. The water supply to much of eastern part of the suburbs of Melbourne was affected because the one of the reservoirs, uh, Sylvan Reservoir or Reservoir, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, the generator um, that was involved with helping sterilise the water um, broke down and the backup generator broke down as well. So some of the water that got through to the town water supply or the city water supply um, was potentially contaminated. So they played safe and sent out an alert to everybody. And this is when 60,000 homes also had no power. Um, 
that you should not drink the water <laughs> that's in your pipes as well. So you need to boil water, which made it tricky for people who had no power and they didn't have any you know, gas um, to just do gas um, boiling. So they set up a couple of emergency spots at local parks and um, football grounds where they went there with um, water tankers and you could go and get some fresh drinkable water and to brush your teeth in, etc. So it was... Um, it was like living in the dark ages, Mark, for um for a day or something. Wow. So there you go. Obviously it wasn't important enough um to hit the news up in Newcastle, but um yeah. it, it, so, it certainly sounds like the dystopian future has arrived prematurely in Melbourne. So here we were, no no drinkable water, no power, um, stage four lockdown, everybody wearing masks and a curfew. <laughs> <laughs> so life could not be any better, Mark. Um, life could not be any better. How, how have you been up there? Um, we've just been busy. We were talking um, uh, before we began in our prep, we were talking about um, uh, the fact that um, it, it is really busy in veterinary practices and um and we're seeing lots of interesting cases and uh um yeah it's it's exciting times brendan it is and i know we've spoken about it a few times about what's going to happen when if the bubble bursts as far as veterinary clinics being busy and and from what i can hear from our international friends and some of our listeners who send us um emails and and posts that it's been similar in many other countries, um, which reminds me, vetgurus at gmail.com is the email. Um, drop us a line and say hello. The emails have been a bit slow lately. It must be something to do with the power outage or something, perhaps. <laughs> Who knows? But, yes, we love hearing from our listeners and uh, and even more, our subscribers. We absolutely love listening to them and hearing from them as well. So send, um, send us a note and um, say hello. Brendan, I've got, a, I've got, I've long yearned to ask you a question. Um, do, do we need to get our um, subscribers and listeners to rate us? Does that make any difference to us? Every other podcast that I listen to, they exhort their listeners to, um, to you know, give them a rating, a five star review on Apple Podcasts, etc. Yes, well, we don't stoop to that level, Mark. <laughs> we're above all of that, and our listeners are so loyal that uh, they're they're unlikely to give us one star. So um, we we just prefer not to really have ourselves plugged. Apparently, early on in the days of podcasting, it was a it was a done thing in that um, the more five-star reviews you did, it does affect your analytics. But supposedly these days, it doesn't really matter that much. It's really just raw numbers and how many people listen to you that um, are being are sucking down the feed um, that affects the, the ratings and where you are on the list of popular podcasts, etc. So, um, See, yes. I, just, having, I, listen, I ask you and I instantly feel smarter with your end. <laughs> So please leave a five-star review for us if, you, if you would like to. Uh, even better, just make a note about um, a funny comment or something and um, put a, put an interesting satirical note in there or something. Um, Send us an email. We rather, I would rather. Emails are good. We love to contact with our listeners slash subscribers, don't we, Mark? Well, we should move on. 
We've been babbling on long enough, Mark, because you want to talk about birds. Um, surprise, surprise. And this one's fairly close to home, so to speak, isn't it? You want to talk about Regent Honey Eaters? It's not just close to home, so to speak. It's bloody close to home. Um, I The um, the Regent Honey Eaters, as everyone should know, are um, critically endangered. They once roamed in their tens of thousands across southeastern Australia. They're a relatively migratory bird. They spend the winter up on, you know, sort of in the Capity Valley and the east coast of New South Wales and Queensland, and then they spend the summer down your way in the uh, um, in the, the uh, broad Victorian uh, forests. Um, but um, their numbers have dwindled, Brendan. Their numbers... Uh, because of that uh, pathway, that travel that they do, um, and because we've cleared all their gum trees, the gum trees they love to eat the nectar from, um, are all gone pretty much. Um, the numbers have like plummeted. Um, and only four years ago, there was estimated to be 600. There may be as few as 200 birds left in the wild. And about, uh, I think it was 11 years ago, um, a group of six birds was uh, collected uh, from the wild, trapped from the wild, and set up in uh, a uh, breeding colony at Taronga Park Zoo. They've been very successful and they've bred large numbers of them. And I know that you can see um, them in, in, Mel- in Melbourne Zoo as well. Um, the colony, the breeding colony has gotten so uh, successful that there's large numbers of them in zoos in Australia. Almost, I would suggest, uh, um, uh, reaching the same numbers as in the wild, and what they've done, Brendan, is taken some of those wild bird, uh, some of those uh, captive bred birds, and released them. Um, there's a location in the Hunter Valley where uh, um, probably one of the best spots to see Regent honey eaters in the world. They regularly attend this site um, each year, and so. Th- these uh, captive bred birds were released where they knew they would have wild birds around. And so um, about eight weeks ago, eight or ten weeks ago, they released 20 birds at this site. Um, Eleven of the birds had radio trackers on them and um, and those birds dispersed uh, slowly, funnily enough. It took several weeks before they left the release site um, and they haven't gone a long way um, there's been a few mortalities, as you would expect, from uh, naive captive birds going into the wild. But one of the most exciting things, and this article um, uh, um, uh, from the ABC highlights the fact that one particular bird with a tracking device um, headed a little bit north of the release site and ended up in a, on another property um, and identified a... Um, Another group that uh, of birds that um, that look like they're going to nest, um, and they um, literally didn't know this additional population of birds. There was, uh, I think, six of them in that uh, small flock on the new site, and they wouldn't have found them without the released birds. So, it's an unintended consequence of the captive bred, releasing the captive bred birds that they've become more familiar and more aware of some of the locations that uh, that the um, the wild that we actually see wild birds. So, I don't know. I honestly don't know whether. That we can do enough to actually save this uh, this species in the wild. There are so few of them left, 
Um, and funnily enough, Brendan, I did a little bit of um because I've been driving around New South Wales to see Regent Honeyeaters, you know, for the last I don't know eight years or so. I've been every time I know there's some around and I can get there, I go and see them. I reckon. I reckon there's a good chance if there's 200 birds in the wild, I've seen half of them in the last five or six years. That's how few birds there are of this species. Mark, it's a good news story. Thank you very much. It's exactly <laughs> what we need. Exactly what we need. Um, yes, I think what what's the total... 300, is it, um, supposedly? Yeah, they, they, they make an estimate between two and 300. Yeah. Well, hopefully there's a few more, and that it was fascinating that one of those birds that had the radio transmitter on that they tracked um, and they visited, it It was um, found was a group of wild birds of its kind. So, fantastic. Do you want to know something else really interesting? One of the other birds actually flew from near the release site to almost my home what did you do i went and tried to find it but i couldn't find it oh okay good i thought that was going to be a bad news story there um i've got a well it's probably not a good news story um unless you're hungry um (laughs) north korean dictator kim jong-un has declared that pet dogs are a symbol of capitalist decadence mark and ordered that dogs in Pyongyang be rounded up and owners are fearful that their beloved pets are being used to solve the nation's food shortages, Mark. He announced in July that owning a pet is now against the law, denouncing having a dog at home as a tainted trend of bourgeois ideology. So I don't know where this is going, but um, I think, you know, well, it's going on to the uh, dinner plate, isn't it? Um, Authorities have identified households with pet dogs are forcing them to give them up and confiscating them and or putting them down. And a recent report, and this is a sad bit, UN report stated there's many 60% of North Korea's 25.5 million people facing widespread food shortages. And dog meat has long been considered a delicacy on the Korean peninsula. And in South Korea, um, they still... Estimated um, there's one million dogs are reared on farms to be consumed every year, although they're thankfully, I think, gradually fading out um, that process. Um, but man's best friend is still a staple on the menu in the north, according to this article, Mark, um, with a number of dedicated dog restaurants in North Korea. And apparently, I didn't know this, Mark, um, dog meat is most popular in hot and humid summer months. Yeah, as it is believed to provide energy and stamina, and it's often served in a spicy soup or stew with vegetables, and it it's known for raising the body temperature, well, to raise the body temperature of the carcass, that's for sure, Mark, wouldn't it? Um, in cold winter months, so yeah, it wasn't a it was a bit of surprise to the um, middle class apparently, because at one stage, yeah. Uh, Kim donated, or, or or as a peace sort of offering, he he presented a pair of indigenous hunting dogs to the South Korean president as a symbol of the growing relationship between the two nations in two thousand and eighteen, and they were called the peace puppies. Um, and 
Not long after that, um, they demanded ordering North Koreans pay a t- tax on dog fur, Mark, um, to be turned into coats to mark the foundation of Workers' Party um, Day. So, yes, it's um, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because it, as we know, and we don't know that much about what actually goes on inside North Korea, do we? But um, I think there's a lot of poverty there. Um, that, that much we do know and... Um, those people who had dogs as pets, um, I think they're, um, well, they're no longer wagging their tails, are they? That's not a positive news story, is it? <laughs> what do you, philosophically, I like... Um, yes, it's a tricky one, isn't it? It's a well, tricky one. Um, mm-hmm. And they had, and, and if the final... Um, few paragraphs in that article there talks about um, that pork and beef are almost unheard of luxury items for most ordinary people there and last few years there's been some natural disasters there including severe flooding um, by monsoon rains and um, the grains have been decimated and rice fields were flooded as well as um, lots of homes destroyed so yeah, it's a tricky one. So, yeah, I interrupted you there, Matt. What what um, what we're going to say about this whole aspect of um, eating particular species? Well, I I um, as you know, I have a vegetarian diet. I indulge in a vegetarian diet. Um, I but I I don't intrinsically see the difference between um, eating uh, dog meat um, and eating, um, you know, uh, cow or sheep or... Uh, or horse in some countries, yes. Um, yes. I mean, it, it's... Um, I, I understand the sensitivities of different... Um, cultures that different species of animals are considered um, sacred or whatever. And I also would never presume, you know, that as you pointed out, uh, the North Koreans under the political system they have at the moment are suffering um, extreme poverty by and large. And so I I would feel rather arrogant telling them what they could and couldn't eat. Um, But... um, but just on a pure philosophical sense, I I don't know that there's technically a difference between the various species in terms of eating their meat. Do you do? You, what do you think? Yes. Now we're getting very serious, aren't we, Mark? <laughs> North I tried Korea. To... North Korea always <laughs> makes me serious. <laughs> yes. No, I I. Well, I agree with what you're saying there, Mark. It's a it's a difficult one there. Uh, it's a difficult one, and I could see that if if you're living on the poverty line or below the poverty line, and you saw the the middle class people um, that have their dogs and um, feeding their dogs and keeping their dogs very well fed, you'd you'd have a bit of a skewed outlook on things, wouldn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. So. Sorry to end on the downer with our news stories there, dear subscriber. Um, I think we'll move on to our main main topic. We did promise, I think we promised two reviews this week, didn't we, Mark? And we've got nothing. We've got, we got nothing. nothing. <laughs> we got nothing, nothing. Um, so, because, well, they're in, 
in in progress. The reviews of our reviews. Um, I didn't house. Un- I didn't unpack the box nearly as quickly as. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I was hoping to unpack a box of something that I was going to review, and it hasn't arrived yet. And I just got a message from from the. Well, it was from Amazon, actually, is where I originally bought it from. Um, Apologising, saying, well, it looks like it's been lost. (laughs) (laughs) That review review will be very Thanks a lot. (laughs) Um, um, And they refunded me the total amount straight away and said, oh, perhaps you want to order another one. So I've ordered another (laughs) one, so we'll see if it arrives. It's promised um, arrival within two weeks. So wait, September the 15th, so a week and a bit. Um, so we'll see if that occurs or not, Mark. So I'm not uh, – I was really looking forward to it too, this particular um, product. So anyway, I'll leave that. I'll leave that and I'm not holding my breath for it, Mark, and somebody's going to be very happy with it, with whatever they've um, got in the mail or, or um, where it ended up. Perhaps I'll end up with two of them, and if I do, I'll send one to you, Mark. <laughs> I look forward to it. It'll be a surprise. So, Yes, it will be. Um, You'll know what to do with it. Don't you worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) So the main topic this week is dental disease, but we're going to talk about a specific species that I think um, very commonly has dental disease, and I wouldn't be surprised if you agree with me, Mark, and that's ferrets. And we can have a little chat about the reason why we see so many ferrets with bad teeth, Mark, Um, and I think... Well, the spoiler alert is that it gets back to husbandry, doesn't it, as usual, with our exotic and unusual pets. So do you see it? Is it very common in your practice, Mark, of the ferrets that you see, dental disease? It's very common. It is very, very, very common. Um, And it's interesting because it shares some of the same characteristics with dental disease and other species, but it has a couple of its own peculiarities, Brendan. And that is <laughs> what? No, that's that's. Uh, we've been doing this for one hundred and fifty three episodes, Mark. Uh, my prompt was there. You should have taken it and run with it. I should have. I I am a so. Um, you were asking me to to complete the the uh, aforementioned sentence. What is? Uh, it's common. What uh, what other things that is uh, does it share with other species? Um, well, I think the the one that stands out for me the most, and the one that I have to deal most with clients is um, is the fact that the ferrets cope with it. That it can be quite horrible, and um, and the ferrets uh, tend to cope really well with it. Now, I've got to say something here, Brendan. I think that um, dental disease is serious. But I think that sometimes uh, it, you know, in, a, in our companion animal medicine, in the dogs and cats, uh, we will often look at an aging dog or cat and see that it has dental disease. And maybe some of those in our profession will then allow their focus to be drawn to that most obvious of problems because you can lift the lip and see the problem. And I think often we start to lose focus on other areas of the animal where maybe more significant problems are going on. In ferrets, I think it's a bit different. I think dental disease is a real focus and leads to many other diseases. And we know ageing ferrets uh, almost invariably are going to end up with 
you know, one of the aging ferret endocrinopathies or um, maybe a cancer or something. Um, but surprisingly enough, in my experience, the dental disease they experience has um, significant impact leading to uh, changes in other body systems. And they're horrible, aren't they? They're, they're often severe. It's not just mild dental disease with these. It, it tends to be, compared with other species, it's like that, you know, that dog or cat that you see as a, as a new client and it's a elderly or even middle-aged animal and it's got the teeth that, you know, you, know, you put it as grade 11 out of 10, Mark, um, and they brought their dog in because it was a little bit itchy or it needed a vaccination and uh, it's the equivalent of those ones. They're really, really bad, aren't they, with them? And, yes, underlying health disease is um, often what's going on there. So these ones in these dental disease cases in the ferrets, Mark, you touched on it and that often the clients bring them in like that dog or cat, and they have no idea that it has the dental disease there. So how do you approach those, Mark? Do you do it the same as you would in the in the dog or the cat as far as introducing the topic to the client that, hey, your ferret has pretty bad dental disease? You're, 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 I can see that um, my earlier failures are forcing you to guide me even more specifically to the answers you want. Um, I... I it is a difficult conversation to start because uh, people will often bring us these animals with um, uh, with the ferrets. They'll bring them with concerns about maybe a cough or, uh, you know, the the spleen will be enlarged or there'll be some... Fur loss or... Yeah. Um, and uh, it's often... There often is a component of, in you know, the, the comorbidity arrangement. They'll have other disease, but there's no doubt that the dental disease is significant and raising that with the people has to be done delicately because, um, you know, the, the the people that come to see well, uh, you and I, Brendan, they've committed a huge amount of effort already in the husbandry of their animals. And if we're careless in communicating the fact that there's a significant disease process, and as you said earlier, it's often associated with some husbandry practices, um, People can get very upset, so it is very important to introduce the idea of uh, dental disease carefully and, uh, and 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 maybe help to manage the the uh, ferret owner's expectations. Um, you know that this is something that happens commonly and gets to be severe with, uh, uh, and then often has effects on other disease processes um, even before we realise it's going on. Yeah, and it's a bit of a softly, softly approach, isn't it? It's a bit like that new dog that comes in and it's got multiple issues there and instead of hitting them with every single issue that needs to be addressed, and you do eventually address them all, you, you prioritise things and, and you mention some of the or all of the problems that are going on there but um, don't overwhelm them um, with all the issues that are happening. Um, otherwise, you may not see them again if you send them home with an $800 bill for the heartworm test and the full bloods and the pre-dental check and the worming and the flea control and the vaccination and the um, other whatever tests that you end up throwing in there. So I, I tend to sort of break it down and say, okay, what's a, what's a priority for this animal? And it almost certainly 
as far as the client goes, it's that what it came in for. For so it's that ferret that has the fur loss or, or the itchy ferret or the, or the other condition that the animal brought it in for, because that's what they're worried about. And you certainly address that, but you then mention, hey, you go back to the old the old comments like dental disease. You know, red gums equals pain, um, and it does in a ferret as it would in most, if not all, other species. And and I mention that to them, and I say, hey, have you had a look in the mouth of your ferret? Um, and a lot of clients won't open that mouth of that ferret. And looking at those the classic spots that we see really severe dental disease in ferrets are those upper molars there, aren't they, Mark? And and sometimes you don't see that unless you. Um, move those um, lips back and, and upwards and, and see what's going on in there. So um, I often then say to the client, have a look um, when you take your ferret um, home again and um, have a bit of a look when it's relaxing or sleeping or whatever and see how yucky those teeth look. And um, I do. I, t- I say to them, look, you know, if you ever had a toothache or a tooth problem um, and you know how much it hurts and um, the ferret almost certainly has a um, similar thing going on with its mouth, but it hasn't got a choice, has it? Um, it has to put up with it and that's what it's been doing. So we introduce the topic and then we start talking about the workup and what sort of things we would do for it. And and my workup for these one, Mark, guess what? It's the same as we would do with it's what's different and what's the same um, is what I look at for all unusual pets. And what's the same is same sort of story we have with dental disease in other species um, and the same approach to the workup with them. Um, but what's different is what I would like us to talk about, Mark, and you talk about, um, and that it points towards potential husbandry issues with this particular species. Um, and perhaps that's why it has such severe dental disease with them. And do you want to chat about some of the things that um, we tend to associate with severe dental disease in, in ferrets and what might be sitting in the background, Mark? Well, um, I do, Brendan. Um, I was going to quickly, just before I do talk about that, I was just going to mention one of the, um, I think that everyone who gets to see ferrets will have one or two clients who um, will show their veterinarian their ferret's mouth by picking them up and scruffing them. And this is, I often find, a very useful exercise to get a good view of the whole uh, set of dental arcades. You only generally get it, you know, the ferret will often yawn for that moment after they've been scruffed um, before they they sort of go limp and yawn for two or three seconds and then close their mouth. And if you time it well, um, you can get an excellent view. But as you said before, it's um, often not a view that the clients get to see. So asking them to have a look and have a smell um, uh, often alerts them to the problem more acutely. So I reckon that scruffing and lifting them up is a useful trick. Yes, absolutely. Although some of them do go a bit nuts with it, don't they? <laughs> so you have to be a little bit careful about that because they not all of them go into that sort of placid sort of neurological sort of response where they go all floppy there, but it's very common, especially on initially picking them up, like you said, Mark, for them to do at least one yawn, and um, that's when you want to have a quick look or the client can with them. So what are the underlying things that associated with this, particularly in ferrets, Mark? Well, it's it's the diet is the first thing that I think of, Brendan. They... um. In the uh, captive situation, we are 
searching for those high-protein diets. And um, now in Australia, we have some diets that are ferret-specific that do have sufficiently high protein levels to satisfy their requirements. Um, We all know that if you were to feed them um, wet food, Um, as a sole source of their nutrition, it doesn't have sufficient caloric intake or protein requirements to to keep them alive. And so they will get sick if they are fed just a a wet food. But wet food, as part of their diet, will provide um, a substrate for bacterial growth and the development of plaque. And uh, similarly, even um, saliva mixed up with them with some high quality pelleted dry food is enough to create that environment that the uh, plaque can form in the at the gingival margin and then the matrix of calcium deposits that occur in that start to form calculus and the bacteria quickly migrate down the the um, the uh, uh, gingival pocket and into the periodontal space and cause disease so um, those uh, high quality um, diets that get soft in water and don't require the ferrets to exercise their gums excessively, um, they're classic predisposing factors. Yes, and I always re- try and remind the clients, hey, we're dealing with a strict carnivore here and, and what do these mustelids eat in the wild? They eat whole animals, so they're tearing it at flesh and skin and, and chewing bones, Mark, and what do we feed them often in captivity? Mush. <laughs> Mush. They get dental disease. Um, so, yes. Or ferret, we need to, some stage we should talk about duck soup, Mark. Yes. For ferrets. Um, we may talk about that here or, or maybe not. We'll wait and see if we if we get time for doing it. So what's your workup for these ones, Mark? I mean, my uh, I said my workup similar to what I would do with other species with dental disease. So it's it's looking at looking for all those other uh, other issues that we might see with an unusual pet so looking at those that husbandry the diet for the um for the ferret whether it does have any anything which helps um have a chew chewing action to help um clean those teeth which it probably doesn't um ideally probably doing a, a blood screen at some stage if i'm concerned about it being a middle age or immunocompromised ferret um otherwise we get stuck into the mark and we um give them an anesthetic and we perform a dental on them they Plus are not Plus or minus doing doing a workup like a radiographs as well, but um, some of them I just get stuck into them because I, I end up removing. Um, with some of these, we end up pulling out a fair number of teeth. Exactly the same, Brendan. I think it is great um, to uh, to get quality radiograph images and uh, and um, and those images can definitely inform some of the finer details of the dental work that needs to be done um, but to uh, to be honest like you um, that that uh, nuanced dental work is is really necessary the the most most of the teeth that at least some of the teeth will literally fall out uh, in your dental um, uh, uh, claspers and um, and um, the the remainder remainder of uh, the diseased teeth won't take significant periodontal elevation, um, and I think um, uh, getting in there and getting those diseased teeth out as quickly as possible is a great way to go. Um, we have had a few cases, Brendan, where um, uh, the extent of uh, 
periodontitis and os- extending osteomyelitis leads to um, uh, oronasal fistulae. Um, so the extent of infection can be quite pronounced um, in these guys and, um, and it does uh, always, uh, I counsel people to be you know the same for you can't use the same forces in ferrets as you would in dogs and cats to exercise the the periodontal elevator because um, you you might artificially create that fistula um, if the infection hasn't already created it for you. So, what sort of post-operative care do you recommend or or dispense for the ferret mark with a severe dental disease they definitely need pain relief and it it is always that's one of the difficult discussions to have with the clients that um that the ferrets they don't the ferrets cope with the with the discomfort by eating um you know without applying any pressure to the teeth or using other parts of the um the dental arcade to uh to break down food and chew it or not chew it at all just swallow it whole um and so they are exceedingly uncomfortable and they require an aggressive analgesic protocol to make sure they're comfortable post-operatively um they do need antibiotics there's many dental procedures we do in dogs and cats where we don't feel it's appropriate to routinely give antibiotics, but almost all the ferrets, by the time we get to the stage of um, take, uh, doing a dental procedure, um, they have osteomyelitis and they will need some antibiotics. Um, Outside of that, we want to manage their diet better. And it is a bit of a balancing act with the diet because um, obviously they're going to have a sore mouth for a few days after the procedure. We do work to try and close, you know, we do worry about dry sockets in all our um, dental patients of all species, um, but there definitely are ferret cases where we leave that uh, that. Uh, Um, dental socket open in an attempt to permit some drainage of any of the infected material that might be left in there after we've um, uh, extracted the tooth and flushed the cavity. Well, you've summarised that beautifully. I've got nothing else to say about that, Mark. Um, Do you get a question for you? Well, I do have have something else to say. (laughs) What do you recommend for them to to help prevent um, any further dental disease on that ferret that you've sent home? What sort of chewing toys do you recommend or products or do you advise clients brush their ferret's teeth? If so, what sort of product? Excellent question. Um, and I do, uh, I definitely, um, I have to pick the clients that I do this with, but I will often start to suggest to them that, um, and, and since reptile keeping has become a much more common thing in Australia, it is much easier to obtain, um, you know, uh, whole prey items, shall we say. Um, and, um, and I think it is a good thing if sensitivities permit um, to allow ferrets and and also we all know that ferrets are very fastidious in their eating habits and what they're familiar with as food may compromise our ability to try and manage their diet to maximize the 
the abrasive effects of the food. But if we can get them to eat a uh, prey item, um, then that obviously is excellent natural um, effort at uh, cleaning the gingival margin of the remaining teeth uh, as they scour the the um, the the ligaments and tendons and bits of meat off the bones, crunch the bones, all those things. Um, so uh, mice, Brendan, we'll often suggest if the people's sensitivities will permit, we'll ask them to feed, uh, to offer as a weekly or fortnightly treat um, a prey item like a mouse. Um, we definitely employ um, some commercial foods that might exercise the gum. Some of the the uh, chews uh, that are useful for dogs can be also used uh, to provide um, uh, gingival exercise in ferrets. Um, I, I, it's funny because they are so fastidious that a lot of those diet changes, and particularly if the textures and whatnot and are unfamiliar, they often won't recognise them as foods. Um, so cleaning the teeth is... It's actually, my experience with ferrets is that it's probably a little bit um, easier with um, ferrets because of the shape of their mouth. The commissures of their lips are way back near the, the uh, you know, towards that, uh, um, well, what anatomic feature would I like to describe it as? But at the back of the the mandible they're not like our other some of our other small uh, exotic mammals where the you know the commissures of the lips are just behind the incisors these uh, ferrets lips go all the way back so you can conceivably in a compliant ferret uh, get a pediatric uh, or uh, animal toothbrush into the mouth the problem I find is that by the time we're doing dental work on them, um, they have significant numbers of extractions and there's only a few teeth left and the ferrets are often of an age which they're difficult to train to permit uh, to, to permit this procedure to be performed. But what do you recommend any particular flavoured dental toothpaste mark for ferrets that works um, better? I, I, the, the, if you... No, I can't recommend <laughs> any, any particular. I, I know that, um, you know, there are a number of uh, on the online discussion groups and whatnot. They do talk about, as you mentioned earlier, some of the, the gamier um, flavours um, as being something that ferrets might be interested in. Um, and we can get some of those flavours in dentrifices for, for our other um, you know, chicken-flavoured uh, toothpaste for our uh, dogs or cats. Um, but I can't tell you that I see a particular preference uh, or even that it makes the ferrets tolerate it anymore. The ones that seem to tolerate it are going to tolerate it no matter what the taste is. Is that your experience? Yes, or I go for prairie dog flavour, Mark. <laughs> they seem to love prairie dog flavour, and that's a little shout-out to our North American <laughs> listeners. Um, some of them seem to hate, no matter what you do, it's like any dog or cat, and, and whether it's chicken or beef or whatever flavour. Interestingly enough, I've had a few ferrets that seem to devour and enjoy those greeny um, yeah. dental chews, Mark, so that's one thing that it's worthwhile trying for people who... who um, don't see ferrets that often. Um, 
yeah, a lot of ferrets won't go near them, but um, it's an easy one for somebody to try. So I usually say to clients, just try, go through the whole range of all the little, you know, dental chews and, and see if you can find one that works for your ferret. Um, and if you're keen enough, uh, the client's keen enough and the animal tolerates it, yeah, definitely de- um, brushing is, is number one like it is with with all our other um companion species so here i don't have any other pearls of wisdom there mark um for that but yes dental disease in ferrets are very very common in my opinion and my experience um, with the ferrets that we see in my practice and uh, it's something to look out for if you're not seeing very many ferrets do you have any sort of final thoughts or comments mark i hate to round out a wholly negative podcast but no (laughs) No, that's <laughs> oh, a positive, a positive podcast. Um, yes, thank you all for listening, and I think next week we'll talk about duck soup for ferrets, and that's the homework for our listeners, Mark. So just remind me next week we need to talk about what the hell is duck soup, and why would you feed it to a ferret, and what what is the myth of duck duck soup? What is it? This mythic product that all the ferret forums talk about duck soup and where did it get its name um it's an interesting one isn't it mark um and we'll leave our listeners with that and we will talk to you all next week thanks for listening to the vet podcast by the vet gurus Don't forget to visit us at the website, vetgurus.com, where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time.